The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, we have another uh, guest speaker today. We have a couple of folks actually today. I've known this person for most of my life. In fact, I've known this person longer, uh, uh, I guess almost as long as, well, let's see, the only people I've known this person longer would be my mom and dad. And, and she sometimes has been both to me. So, uh, hey, folks, give a round of applause to my wife, Lilia. I never know what he's going to say. <laughs> um, I love it that we're going through the Psalms. When I was a new believer, I mean, I was just so excited that there was actually a God, because I had been looking for purpose. I'd look, I've been looking for um, reason to keep going, and then God came into the picture, and I just knew. I just knew that there was a God. I knew that there was purpose. I knew that there was reason, and everything changed. But as, as time went on, and um, you start living your life, and you know, you get up in the morning, and you look in the mirror, and you know, life just happens, that un- mundane, ordinary life that happens to all of us, and, and the things that come against you, you know, the, the ordinary things and the extraordinary things. I remember I used to think, um, does God really understand what it is like to be human? I, I, know that there, I know that I know that in history, he invaded history and he came down to do so many things. He came down to show us what, that he knew what it was like to be human, to show us that um, he understood what we're going through. Um, and then I thought, okay, I know he was here, but does he really? <laughs> I mean, I live in Whittier, I grew up in East LA, does, you know, does he understand that sort of thing? And then, but as life was, was going on, I started reading the Psalms, and I knew. I mean, you read the Psalms, and there's humanity. You don't hide. I mean, he doesn't, um, the people that wrote it were just being themselves, and it was poetry, and it was music, and it was beautiful. And they talked about the same things that we all go through, the very human things, the, the things that beset us, the things that we feel, whether it's negative or not. They, they didn't run away from them. And I appreciate that so much about God that he didn't clean any of this stuff up. I mean, they were just being themselves. And one of the songs that would always stand out to me, just because the beginning was just so stark, and it just spoke of the things that you know, I, I felt as I was going through life, um, it was Psalm 22. Um, Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I'm, I'm not silent. How many of us have gone through times in our lives where that is what we felt. You would never say it overtly because you know, you know that God is God and, and, and he's with us and there is more to life than what we see around us. But there were those times that you felt like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it could have been something huge. There's huge things that come against us. And in a sense, those are almost those traumatic things that almost drive you to God because there's nowhere to go. Those really, really huge things. You're driven because there's nowhere else to go. But then there's those things that, that just live with you, that you're just living with something that you feel no one could know or understand. There's a secret, everyone has a, a secret heartache, a secret longing. And it could be 
something that you think that um, will never leave you, that you're always going to live with this, that God has left you because you live with this. Everyone else is doing okay except you because you're living with this particular thing and you feel like God, not always, but in the back of your mind, why have you forsaken me? Um, when Jesus was here, I, I, I love that it says that he was tempted with everything that we're tempted with, that he knew exactly what it was to be human. But it wasn't until the end of his life, towards the end of it, very, very end, when he was going through that horrific thing that he did for us, and I still don't understand the whole of why he had to go through this, but it makes more sense in that there was a point that he experienced humanity up until the point where he was dying and he had been rejected and he had been tortured and no one understood him, his friends had left him, everything had gone wrong. But at least he had this relationship with God. He'd always existed with God. And then, but even that at the end left him. And he said these words, um, it's one of those prophetic psalms, or there are some psalms that, that are David, when he was writing them, was saying more than what he was feeling at the time. He was actually prophesying something that was going to happen in the future. And Jesus, when he was hanging on this horrible stick, ashamed, and just, you know, it's not like what we think, like, oh, on the cross. I mean, it was a shameful thing. It was embarrassing. It was horrific. He was abandoned and all that. And yet, but he still had this relationship with God. But at the very end, when he got to the point where he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's when he experienced what we experienced, like that separation where you feel like, even that I don't have. I feel like God has forsaken me. God sometimes allows us to go through heartache and pain. And he asks, can I trust you with this? Can I trust you with this thing? Will you, st will you, still, will you still follow me, even though it seems like I'm far away? Jesus went through, with, through what he needed to go through. He still went through what he was supposed to go through. And I love that these Psalms will talk about how, what we feel and what we feel we're going through and, and sometimes the hopelessness, yet it always comes back to reality. As real as your feelings seem, there's another reality. There really, there is so much more than what we see around us. There's this whole other reality that God is constantly trying to pull us back into. And yet, I, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he goes on. But then he always comforts himself. He said, you are enthroned as the Holy One. And he goes on with verse 3 on, in the same psalm after he said, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what I feel. He goes, no, no, there's another reality. You have trusted me with this, this heartache. You have trusted me. Am I going to just cry and go and do, live as if there is no God? Am I going to just do it on my own and not trust and not think that he really is the God he said he is? But David would always remind himself, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. I remember who you are. You are more than what I see around me. There is a world that exists beyond what I, what I can see. You are the praise of Israel. This whole nation just was a different people because of who he was and who he showed himself to be. And you, our fathers, put their trust. And they trusted you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and they were not disappointed. I, I really love the Psalms because they encourage me. Yeah, they acknowledge that, yes, I feel frustrated. Yes, there's, there are some things in my life that seem like this heartache will never go away. But there's so much more than that, that trust him that, that though it seems like this, he really is trustworthy. 
And you look back on all that he's done, you look back on that there is a, um, a life that can be lived apart from the mundane, and there is relief. He is kind. There is relief. There will be a day where everything will be all right. There really will be. Trust him. Keep walking as if there is a God. There is a way to, to feel relief, but it's never apart from him. The temptation should never be that I'm going to live my life as if you're not there. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I want because I don't feel you there. He is there. He does move in his timing. He makes it all right. And I love the very end of this psalm. It says, he's talking about that, you know, because of what Jesus said, he was tempted, even though God seemed far apart, he went through with what he needed to go through. Because above all, he violated that relationship with God. But because he was willing to go through that, how many lives were changed and what the trajectory of what happened because he said no. And like Job said, though you slay me, yet will I serve you. Because of that, all of history was changed. The universe was changed because he was willing to go through what he needed to go, be willing to go through. I want to be the kind of woman, the kind of person that it's not about me. Whatever I'm going through, yes, I know you, you understand how painful it is. You understand that sometimes it seems hopeless, but there is a plan, there is a purpose. And at the end, there is something beautiful that happens when I persevere, when I hold on, when I say there is more than, than what I see around me, that you do understand what I'm going through, and there is relief. You are a kind God. You will not leave me suffering forever. And because of what Jesus was willing to do, they say, they said in verse 31, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. We are those people yet unborn, that because of he was willing to go through what he was willing to go through, we are hearing all this now, that we are changed lives because of what he was willing to go through. How many people are you touching because of what you're willing to go through and trusting and acknowledging that God is God? You, it, will, it will pass and that he understands your humanity. Thank you. All right. Thanks for that, honey. Thank you. Um, so we have another speaker here. Um, he was here last week, and uh, he's here actually every week. He makes the sound and the visual possible. So please welcome Corey Shaw. Good morning, and buenos dias for all the Latin contingent. I'm going to go ahead and, and read a psalm as well. Uh, they're not going to put it up, and I don't want you guys to turn to it. If you want to go back to it later, it's going to be Psalm 37. But um, just listen to it and, uh, and, and see what, what David is pointing out here. He's, he's showing us two different paths that we can take. Um, one is worry, and the other one is trusting. So I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. Psalm 37.1. Do not fret of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the land, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. So, so David's giving us two paths that we can choose. And see, God, God gives us dignity. He gives us the dignity of our choice. 
he's not going to force us to, to pick one path over the other. But as David shows here, one path is a path of, of envy, which then turns into anger and then turns into wrath. The other path is one of trusting. And when we trust, we actually begin to do and carry out good works. And those good works turn into joy and enjoyment of life. So on, on one hand, if we fret or worry, um, here David tells us that that's an evil thing because we end up doing evil things through that. Or we can trust. And when we trust, we actually begin to delight in who God is and who Christ is. And then through delight, we begin to enjoy life. So and it, it kind of reminds me of um, a, a snowball, the snowball effect. As one flake starts on the top of the mountain and it begins to fall and it picks up other flakes and it gets bigger and bigger and momentum begins to, to gather and the snowball gets bigger and bigger. <clears throat> bigger and bigger, excuse me. And, and, and before you know it, that snowball has so much force and so much momentum that it can't be stopped. And I, I think oftentimes anger can do the same thing in us. It starts on the inside with a little thing. And if we don't check it, it can begin to grow. And then as it grows, it picks up momentum. And before we know it, the anger is no longer just a small thing inside of us, but it's actually encompassed us. And we pick up so much momentum that we begin to carry out our life based on the anger that we hold inside. And, and I think once we're surrounded by that, everything that we see in life, everything that we do, begins to take hold in that context of, okay, how is this anger carrying me through life? And, and see, here's the thing, is that every mountain, no matter how high it is, it has a bottom. Every mountain has a valley. And at some point, that snowball is gonna hit bottom. And depending on how big and how much momentum there is, it's going to depend on how hard that crash is and how devastating it is. And, and here's the thing, because there is hope. If we allow Christ to begin to work in us, it's not to say that we won't hit a valley and that we might not crash at the bottom, because we may. But here's the thing, as, as we allow Christ to work in us, he begins to peel off all of that anger so that when we hit bottom, if we hit it, it's not with the same force that would have been otherwise. And, and see, what he does is he takes that anger and he sheds it and he replaces it with joy. And, and here's what amazes me about who, who Christ is and, and why he came. He actually created us to enjoy life. So many people think, oh, religion, you're, you're just bound, you're handcuffed. You can't enjoy the things of this world. And that is so wrong. He created us to enjoy life. But see, there's, there's a stipulation there. For us to truly enjoy life and, and, and what God has created us to do, we have to delight in Christ first. To be able to enjoy life, we have to be able to enjoy the life giver and allow that person to shed that anger and replace it with joy. Thank you. Hey, um, well, listen, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, technology is used to communicate, and um, uh, it's funny how you can be in the same room with somebody, and the technology used to communicate, you're actually ignoring each other. Have you ever done that? 
You're, you're, I'll give you an example, uh, because it has something to do with, with my wife's talk. Uh, there, there are times where we're lying in bed, my, my wife likes to read. And when I go to bed, I don't know, I'm just, it's just me, I, I like to go to sleep. So, um, so occasionally I'll tell her, you know, it's awfully bright in here, which is my cue of, I'm done, you know, being patient with the light here now. But sometimes I don't even have the strength for that, you know, I, I just reach over to the nightstand, I grab my, now she's lying right next to me, and I'll just text her, turn off the light. Wait, wait for it. It's good. It's got to go to space, right? So I just say, it's, it's got to go, ring. And then I wait for it, and I just smile. Ding, ding. And I, I see her get up. Oh, where's my phone? You know, oh, I think it's in the living room. You know, and then the further away, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So she has to walk on that cold wooden floor. By the way, the light doesn't go off any sooner, I've noticed, and then we're both awake. I said that to say that what's interesting to me is that while we were both thinking about our talks this week, that, uh, that she chose a psalm that I chose. I didn't know that until just this morning. And um, so uh, I found that interesting that you know, living with somebody, sleeping with somebody, phones, talks, we, we, just, we just didn't talk with each other about what we were doing this morning. So I got nothing to say. I just thought that... Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I'm rarely speechless. Hey, um, where do you go when, when, when life gets tough? Ever, ever, you know, do you have a thing that you do when you have to scratch that itch? Um, there used to be a time when I, uh, I guess I kind of still do, I like to go shopping, right? Ever you get that? When the going gets tough, it's time to go shopping. I mean, you know, there's nothing like going through the racks of fabrics and wools and cashmeres and silk and linen and, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, let's just dismiss now so I can get to a mall. I need a, I need a fix. And, and, and don't you love getting something on sale that you wanted? Oh, my God. You know, when you see us, those are on sale? And, and you go, oh, my size. And you just, oh, it's, it's so good, you know. Um, last uh, Tuesday, I kind of went out to Beverly Hills. And uh, uh, I just thought, you know, I, I hadn't been there and I needed to go. And I just felt the siren call and, you know, in and out of some shops and, and, and did a little shopping and ran out of money. But you know, here's what's funny about all this is that, see, where you go when there's conflict and where you go when there's pain and where you go when there's something's not working is where you go is an indication of where you are as a person. See, but some of you, I know that you, you like to go work out. You, you're, you, I have to go for a run or I'm going to go throw some lead around. Some of you have to go shoot lead. You have to go to a firing range and you just have to fire off your weapon, which is good that's there and not in a public location. Um, others of you, you have to go create something. Um, you have to go cook or redecorate a room or you go to your garage and you work on that car. But some of you go to very dark places when you're under stress. You go back to an old habit that used to give you relief that really doesn't quite do it for you. It, it, well, I take it back. It it's satisfies the itch, but it gives you regrets. So where do you go? Now, when I think about the life of Jesus, you know, you, you think this is this hugely impossible standard of, of living. And at some level, all he was doing is showing us how to be human. That's it. This is how you live a life of, of, of an authentic human being. This is how you're realized, actualized, that our humanity requires for its fulfillment a connection to the God that made us. And so... I think about Jesus and what he would have done when he was stressed. 
And I find it interesting that many, many times, and I've seen this with some of you, because I, I, you know, being involved in technology as a, you know, working in the wireless industry that I have done for so many years, I see people, you know, the phones to me are a curse. I mean, I, I they're my bread and butter. You know, they, they keep my wife in the furs and diamonds that she's accustomed to, but, um, <laughs> all right, maybe not. More like polyester and zirconium, but still, she's happy. <laughs> and I hate to see people on cell phones. Yeah, I have no idea how much I dislike it. I just figure no one's that important. By the way, if you're that person at Starbucks, you know, we don't want to hear your conversation. All right, I don't, I don't care what you did. This, you know, it just, it's amazing to me how people now we become. You know, everybody needs to know about us and our conversations, and, and, and just, I'm just not that guy. At any rate. Um, so the thing about the, the, the technology is that how often when Jesus was, you know, processing people and doing stuff, um, he would actually pull away from people to be alone. In fact, there were times when people would crave more of him, you know, please stay here, talk to us, teach us, connect with us further, and he would actually pull away. Very anti what we do sometimes as church folks. You know, we, we figure, you know, we're always trying to draw people in. And Jesus would actually pull away because he needed those moments to connect with his God, to connect to the God that he wants us to connect to. And so that got me thinking further. Well, gosh, what did Jesus pray about? And then I thought, you know, Thursday we had a conversation. If you could ask Jesus to pray for you, what would you want him to pray for? And we had different responses, and I thought it was an interesting conversation. And then we looked at John 17 to see what Jesus actually did pray for, how he prayed for us. But I couldn't shake that, 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 that notion. Were there times when Jesus was stressed or depleted and tired? And the answer was, yeah, there, there truly absolutely was. You know what's funny? When, when we think about Jesus... Um, and this humanity, we, we, we think, at least I did, yeah, he's human, but as my wife was saying earlier, but he really wasn't human, was he? I mean, he didn't have to wash, did he? He didn't have to eat, really? Did he sweat? Did he really touch the ground when he walked? Were there moments that he flashed in anger and violence? Um, see, I, sometimes when I picture Jesus now, it, it's no longer this blue-eyed Scandinavian with emo hair thing going on, you know. It's, I see a, a Jewish man about 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five, muscled from working years with his body and tanned who apparently, I think, would smile a lot because apparently kids would go up to him. And I know this about kids, they don't go to a grouch. Right? And from what I read in the conversations, people like to talk to him. And he wasn't an ascetic. The man knew how to partay. You know, I mean, this is a, if there was one criticism about Jesus' life from religious people, was that, man, you drink too much. You eat too much. And you hang around questionable people. Man, may God call us to that. You know, I'm thinking that we would be known as people who enjoy life and enjoy humanity no matter who people are. But the question kept coming back to my head. So what did he do when he was stressed? How did he, how did he pray? And, and, 
And as Lily was saying this morning, when David wrote this poem, he was experiencing some profound sorrow and deep, deep grief. Because it wasn't just the grief of the circumstances, which sometimes we can bear. Isn't it the loneliness that really, in the end, is worse? The silence. And it's worse when you experience that loneliness in a crowd, isn't it? You can be at a, at a club or at a person's house and there's folks and you're at, you're at a large event, you're at Starbucks and it seems like everybody knows everybody, you know nothing, you don't know anybody. Everyone's enjoying their life and you're not. You're the only person alone, you are alone. And you wonder, does anybody really care at all? And so it drew me back to looking at those last few words that Jesus spoke on the cross and I found this incredible moment. What I found incredible about this because it made me flash back to a moment of my own father um, who lost some battles in his life. But I recall as a small kid when they took us to church, um, looking down the pew, watching him as he, his lips would move silently as he was praying. And I saw this was a man who was trying to connect to God. You know, he, it didn't quite work in the end. He had some challenges that just, he, he just lost too. Then I began to think about Christ. What was he doing at the end there? We think there's just these few things that he said, but the reality is, I think he was praying. As a good Jewish man, he would have known the scriptures, buried into his heart. And unlike us now, we have these references, chapters and, and uh, verses, and I, and I can tell you to go to Hosea, this, that, and the other, and some of you will find it eventually. Uh, but a person like himself, who was steeped in the scriptures, he would just quote the first part of it, and you would know where it was. And so I find that remarkable. What did Jesus pray at his worst profound moment? He said this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, but you don't answer. And by night, I find no rest. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were saved. And in you they trusted and were not disappointed. Now here's what some of us I think can really relate. <laughs> I'm a worm. I'm not even a human being. I'm scorned by everyone. I'm despised by the people. And all who see me, they mock me. They hurl insults. They shake their heads. Quote, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me feel secure in my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. So do not be far from me. My trouble is near. And there's no one to help. When David wrote this, he had probably no idea how well he wrote. And when Jesus was reciting this, he was reciting something that was its most Profound fulfillment is really only met in the experience of Jesus Christ. But being human, we can sort of parallel the experience as well. And so he expresses these words about no one able to help him. This, if you were to read the psalm, you'll see a person processing. Here's the thing that's interesting to, to me. is that Jesus still calls him, you're my God, but you've abandoned me. And that, that phraseology I find very interesting. That he recognizes him that you are my creator. You, you, you gave life to me. You were there at the moment of my conception. You've always been with me. 
See, some of you are thinking that I need to start coming to church and you know, I, I want to connect maybe and you're wondering if God is interested in you and I can tell you God's always been part of your story. Incredibly interested in you. And you just might be now at a place and a moment in your life that you begin reaching out for the God who's been searching for you all your life. Still, there's moments when you know, it just seems that, wow, he's so far away. And you know, I remember those moments, um, whether it was sitting as a guest of Parker Center, a Hollenbeck, or Ventura County Jail. You know, a funny story about Ventura County Jail. That's the nicest jail I've ever been to, and I've been to a few. And uh, I, uh, I was on my way to church when I got arrested, that's funny enough. And um, in fact, I was dating Lilia when I got arrested on my way to church in Ventura. And she still married me. And um, what was really funny about that is that uh, the pastor was a close friend, and I didn't have bail. And uh, so they took an offering to get me out of bail, get me out of jail that day. So funny. At any rate, but they were cool, and I didn't have to go to a cell. They were just talking to me. I was talking to them. Apparently, it was no threat, you know, skinny, goofy kid, looked like a toothpick with black hair. But, you know, there was moments, though, that wasn't so funny. It just seemed like, oh, man, how can you claim to be good if you're not good to me right now? Now, here's what's interesting. It was very one-sided. It was very, you're good if you're good to me. But if you're not good to me, you're not good. You know, it was very almost a narcissistic, selfish sort of, be good to me right now, relieve this pain, then I know you're good. How many of you have ever drank orange juice after you brushed your teeth with mint toothpaste? It's almost as bad as drinking orange juice when you didn't know you had a cut on your tongue. Or better, cold, cold orange juice with a sore throat. You know, that stingy. Now, my wife won't tell you because she's very loyal to me, but I am really that, that guy that if I read about any kind of illness or new discovery of something that's wrong, I think I have it. <laughs> I'm not lying. I, if I read about some new, oh, this, <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> I better go lie down. <laughs> when was I in Alaska last I've never been. How did it travel so far? You know, and I, I you know, I, silent heart attacks. I mean, I've had it all. I mean, I, I'm a survivor. You know, I, <laughs> Dr. Schmockers, I just, I know something, I'm distressed, you know. And I'll tell you the other thing that's funny about being ill, because I, I am that guy, you know, you know, uh, most men are big babies when they're, when they're sick, right? I, I'm not that big. I'm not that. I'm not. I just want to be left alone. I'm a total grouch. Just leave me alone. My, my poor wife, the first time we were, I was sick and we were newly married, she was you know, hovering, trying to care for me. I'm like, you're killing me. You know, if this illness, what can I do for you? Leave. You know, and, uh... But you know what's funny about, about uh, having a sore throat? This is what I do. I always think, am I ever going to get well again? Is my body still going to work? Or how, how, many of you, how many of you right now do not have a headache? You do not have a headache. Raise your hand if you don't have one. Okay. So, okay, a couple of you do have one. If you notice the relief, <laughs> so silly. I've been in such pain sometimes, like some, it was an injury and stuff happened. I just wanted to get to the doctor so badly to get my stuff. And, you know, and you, you hold, 
I've actually felt better holding the medicine. That's how bad it is. There's hope. It's light at the end of the tunnel. It's going to get better soon, you know? And then, you know, you know it's when your medicine kicks in? I go, oh, I can swallow again. Oh, yeah, God is good. I can swallow. Now I believe. It, it, it's, funny how, it's funny how you really appreciate your health in its absence, right? Here's what's funny about some of us, because I, I, I did this. I, I would create a mess of my life. I, I would do things that were unhealthy relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and I would go to God and say, fix this. And what I was essentially asking him for was Tylenol 3 with Cody, spiritually, right? Give me my Vicodin. And I am going to take over an alcohol chaser. You know, I know you're not supposed to, but I want it to work right now. And what's, what's interesting is I've learned over the years how many times um, even men in, in, or women in, in sports, they experience an injury in their ankles or their body somewhere, and, and then you know, they, they take the thing, they get the shot, and it's not healing anything. It's just stopping the pain. And then the person will go back out and re-injure themselves over and over again. But you know what makes it worse? They're not even feeling it anymore. You know, you know the hideous thing of leprosy? It's, it's besides the disfiguring and all this mess that it is, and it's that really what's, what's ended up happening is that you're just, you're, your nerves and the pain and all that is no longer working. So pain, in some levels, actually is a good thing. It, it tells you something's wrong. It's the warning system. This is not a drill. This is not a drill. Something's wrong. Fix this. And we want God to take away the pain. We want him to be the, the pharmacist in the, in the sky. Take away my pain. And I, I began to realize that that because he is a person, he wants more than just to dispense pain relief. He wants the person. Those of you who are married, and those of you who, who've ever been in, ever had a friendship or relationship, you know those moments when you when you uh, begin to uh, the relationship begins to dissolve and go south, and you have to make it right. And so most people cowardly will say, okay, I'm sorry. And the person will think, who's been totally disparaged and discounted, will say, and then when you realize that there's no connection back, you go, I said I'm sorry, right? Have you noticed it's really never the words? It's the, it's the soul-to-soul conversation. It's the thing that's not spoken. This is why in many times when my wife and I have talked to young couples about to get married, we used to say two things. First of all, buy a good couch because one of you will spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. Oh, I got something again. It's the Alaska thing. And, um, and the other thing we tell people is that, is that communication is really overrated and forgiveness is completely underestimated. Now, here's what I mean about this and the value of sorrow and what Jesus prayed and all that. Is that sometimes when we're asking God for, to help us, is that all we're really asking for is just pain relief. We don't really want him. So, you know, some of you come here, and, and, and by the way, you're always welcome here, and, and no matter who you are, what you've done, that, that really makes no difference to us. It, it's a person's future that matters most to us. But you come here, you, 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 you get loved on, you get invested in, and, and you, you, people who care for you in a healthy way, and you feel healthy, because health has a way of, of giving you health into your soul, and then and you go back to do something 
that made you hurt in the first place, that caused your loneliness, that caused you to seek community in the first place. And you're not connecting the dots. Strange. You come here for the Band-Aid. You come here for a little bit of pain relief. I, sometimes I get text messages from people that, that just want to reach out. Hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. How are you? you know, hey, man, I love you back. And, and then I don't see them for a few days at all. And then, you know, it's something that had gone south in their life. Here's, here's the thing that I think will happen. And I'm going to jump to another psalm to close this part. That when Jesus was at his most profound sorrow, that he went to connect with the God that he loved and he needed. You'll always be loved and cared for here. But there's got to come a time when you connect to the God that actually loves you more to make you the person that you can become. Another thing that Jesus quoted or said from the cross is found in Psalm 31. So let's turn there as it flashes up on the screen. Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me from the trap that is set before me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is the part that he didn't say. Redeem me, Lord, my faithful God. And, you know, didn't say that because he was redeeming the world. The, um, when, you make, when you make a promise, you know, there's, there's something about you that's committed in the promise, isn't it? Um, and I noticed that really a promise is only as good as the person that's going to keep it. Right? Those of you who are married, you made a promise. Right? There's no, there's, there wasn't a gun to your head. Hopefully, there wasn't a gun to your head, you know, but, the, but you made a promise. You willingly, you know, and in some of these traditional uh, ceremonies that I've officiated, people want that, are you here of your own free will and volition? They want that in the ceremony so that they can publicly declare, declare that there's no money involved, there's no shotgun here, you know, I'm not going to be threatened with death. I'm, I'm choosing to marry this person. I'm making this promise. But the but promise always has a claim, just as it is when you... When you choose to become a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're going to make a focused commitment to follow Christ, part of that is that there's a claim that you're giving that, that is really a claim on your life. See, here's what's interesting to me, that there have been times I, I've been fussing and trying to you know, pull away from the God that I know that cares for me. I feel like I'm that, well, we had this dog. We loved this dog. This dog was the best dog ever. The dog used to climb the fence. It used to pick locks. It was an incredible animal. But that dog, as much as it loved us, I mean, it would jump into our bed, jump into our lap. You know, that, that, if the door was open, that thing ran. It ran like it was on fire, you know. It just ran. And the funny thing is, that c caused her death. You know, she was hit by a car. Teeny, and she was black, and it was at night. You know, it was just the perfect storm. 
and, I, and I've often thought, man, I am just like Shelby. I love my God, and that I feel that sometimes that I want to pull away from him. Like, I think there's something out there that's better. All right? Okay. And I forget that he has a claim, and that sometimes when, I, when I'm whispering and thinking in my head about, why do I do this? And I'm so sorry. And he says, oh, it's okay. I know you're faithless. But I'm faithful, and I took your vow seriously. I'm never letting you go. We, um, we get injured, and we want to be healed, and we just go back to do the same thing over and over again. But this is the thing I've noticed, and I want to tie in a little bit from what I just said earlier, is that I notice that God seems to answer the prayer of relief and deliverance and caring and restoration when he matters more than my pain. You follow? When, when his name even matters more than my own. And I told you last Sunday that there came a point when my life was just so mixed up that I thought, I, I, don't, I mean, I just needed to confess to somebody to get help. That my restoration my, was more important to me than my reputation at that point. And God always seems to respond when he matters more than the gift that you're even seeking from him. I love you. And even if you never treat me well again, I'll still love you. But that's, the, that's the, the paradox, because he will always outdo even the best thing that we think we can imagine to happen to us. He's just that kind of a God that just continues to give and give and give. But I find that sometimes there seems to be, well, and like in this apology example earlier, we're just sometimes saying the words. We don't really want the person. When I began to love God more than I even loved myself, a couple, uh, couple years ago, I wrote an article um, that love is death. And uh, I was giving some analogies and different stories and epic stories. You know, the, one of the ones I pointed to, I, I, actually, I think what triggered this, I'd just seen um, Romeo and Juliet, you know, the one with uh, Leonardo and what's-her-face? Claire Danes, thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I began to think, oh, my gosh, this is, especially when he, die, when he dies at the end, to, to unite with her. I thought, oh, this is, a, this is what God does for us. And it was perfect because it was in, in that whole church scene with the neon crosses and all, very cool. And began to think, wow, you know, this is, this is exactly what he does for us. He, 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 he unites with us in death so that we can be united with him. But now, to me, it's a little bit different. I'm going to tweak that so I, res- I always reserve the right to correct myself. Love is sacrifice. When um, love is always sacrifice. Listen, I, I want you to understand this. If you don't get anything else out of this, that love is always sacrifice. That's the story in the scriptures, this holy book that we hold on to, that God sacrifices to connect with us because he loves us. And that when he invites us into a relationship, at some level, he's actually inviting us to die, to sacrifice. See, so if I, love, if I say I love somebody, then you know, like, oh, I have warm feelings, I love you, man. But if there's never ever a moment when I sacrifice my needs for a person who, uh, whose needs maybe matter, begin to matter more, then... I'm fond of you, man. <laughs> you know, I have good feelings towards you, but I, at that point, really, I can't say that I love you. And love is sacrifice, even to the point of how I begin to care for myself. If I, if I love who I am and, and, and who I want to become, then I sometimes have to sacrifice what I would prefer to be the person I can become according to what God wants, what God has designed. 
And by the way, even I know when I say that phraseology, I know some of you, it may just make you recoil a little bit because it says, is it did me what God wants? It's like, what God wants? Well, what do I want, you know? And yet the very thing that I want would match what God wants for me. It's just not the same way. I want intimacy. I want relationship. I want connection. I want destiny and purpose and meaning. And I try to find it in so many other ways. So I love this portion when Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, this is the person that has completely abandoned himself to the care of God. Um, I have a fear of heights. That's why I don't stand up most of the time. And uh, I mean, it's crippling. I mean, I wish I was lying to you. I, I, um, <laughs> for, for cheap entertainment once, because we were so broke, we took the kids to downtown Los Angeles and left them there. No, we took the kids to downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> Find your way back. And um, stupid. Anyway, um, we, went to, we went to the, I think it was called the Bonaventure Hotel back in the day. I think it's the Westin something. You know the elevators that are outside with the glass? Right. Okay. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get through this because this will be fun with the kids. They'll, you know, go through the elevator and my dad used to work there and I, and I remember being there sometimes. So I thought, okay, we're going to take the kids to the elevator. I, I, I'm, I must have almost thrown up. I, I, I almost soiled myself. It was embarrassing. It was you know, I, I was crawling out of the elevator shaking and white, you know, and, and my kids were like, do it again. No, no, daddy's done. Daddy's crying right now. <laughs> it's terrible. But I, I want to go bungee jumping. So if any of you guys want to go, because I just got to get through this and I may not make it, but I, I will, you know, I've done it. You know, I've conquered my fear. See, but this is the thing that's funny is that I think some of us are actually afraid of making that leap to be caught by God. I mean everything, 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 your money, your sexuality, your ambitions, your brain, your creativity, your music. No, not my music, man. Not the music. The music. Everything. Thinking that, what if he doesn't catch me? Or what if I don't want to be caught like that? Hey man, I, I can tell you this, that everything that you secretly crave finds its finest fulfillment in his hand. That's pierced for you. And when I began to understand that, and I heard those prayers of Jesus on that cross, I began to realize this was a man that understood and was connected to God in a way that I've never understood. But, a, but aspire to. Into your hands I commend my spirit. All of it. I know that I sometimes pull back. I know sometimes I play, you know, okay, 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 this, but not this. But the, the more that I abandon myself and leap into that, have him catch me, I've never regretted it. Not once. I've never regretted once asking God to take care of me. Not once. Now here's what I find. Now, two last points, and then we'll dismiss for sure. Some of you are going to think that the purpose of this would be to, to pray more. And if you do that, you're going to screw up. Honestly, do not become a person of prayer. That goal is too low. And some of us won't even pray, really. I mean, Buddhists and Muslims and others, they put us to shame as far as prayers. 
Be a person who connects to the spirit that speaks and listens and hears through your prayers, not just the person of prayer. And here's what's funny. When I began to think this way and began to refocus my attention on, oh, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to pray more, and then, you know, forget this prayer, man, it's not working, and my knees hurt. Is that I almost heard God tell me, you know, for this to work, Octavio, you're going to have to trust me. And for that to work, you're going to have to know me. And for that to happen, you're going to have to hang out with me. Because we don't trust people we don't know. And so I find that my talking to God and prayer life shifted. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're very short, just like a person. Sometimes you talk a long time, sometimes there's just a few words, and sometimes just sitting in a room with somebody, there's so much that's being said, soul to soul, right? So let me encourage you to do this, to be a person who connects with the God that lives, that hears, that cares, and that speaks. Because prayer is not a monologue. It's a conversation. And he'll speak to you. And then you can be the person that will say, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Let me pray with you now. To the God that hears and cares listens, speaks, who remembers our vows, who sacrifices and serves us, who's so incredibly passionate and for us. We stop to thank you for your love. And what I pray, Father, for this assembly, for this group, that they would experience you in the most profound way, maybe through their sorrows, maybe through their joy and their pleasure, that they would experience you in a very unique and passionate way. That is, change them forever, down to their spiritual DNA. And I pray that as we continue through the book of Psalms, that they would find themselves in these stories, these poems, these blogs that you gave us to help us understand that I truly know what it's like to be human. I am so truly interested in your life. Thank you for your words and your kindness and just thank you for you and who you are. Help us to be people who don't take advantage of you and just want what you give, but we actually become people who want you and fall in love with you. For your name's sake, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.